Incomparable shirts back on sale for a little bit. Go to theincomparable.com slash shirt to find out more. And visit our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash incomparablepod to get information about all sorts of stuff, including a way that you can submit something to be played on our 300th episode. The Incomparable, number 298, April 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to uh, kick off a new series of, hopefully, series. It's the first one, you never know, a series of episodes. Uh, You know, we watch Miyazaki movies, and we watch Pixar movies, and there are other things that we do. Star Wars movies, we talk about Star Trek. So, um, back many years ago, in the early days of The Incomparable, we did an episode about the entire output of Joss Whedon in, in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Efficient. Back, back when you could do it in an hour. And that, Well, that was, no, not even then. And back no, then, then. Uh, we thought that, you know, <laughs> I, I guess that The Incomparable would only air for about 10 episodes, and then we would be done. We would have covered everything, and we could move away. And instead, we, as we near episode 300, um, I decided perhaps... My favorite TV show of all time deserved more than 10 minutes tucked inside uh, a, a podcast about all of the work of a particular uh, particular person. So we're going to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, my favorite TV show of all time. And we're going to start by talking about just one season. That's right. It's a seasonal look at Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And we're going to talk about season one, often maligned. Is it is it rightfully maligned? Is it justly maligned? We will find out with my three fine compatriots. Aline Sims, hello. Welcome to the Hellmouth. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, I think. David Lore, who died. I, I am I am so glad we're gonna take a stab at this. Mm. Stab. And mm. uh Monty Ashley, can you go hack into the city computer for me? <laughs> Quippy comeback, Jason. All right, Quippy. Are, are you saying comeback. he's the willow of our group? I guess so. Oh, my. That means I've got a sexy doppelganger in a few years. In a few years. Hey, spoilers for shows that were done 15, 20 years ago. So, Buffy, season one. Um, funny, so funny thing. I'll, I'll give an opening statement of my own here. How about that? <laughs> but this, this is a show that I think the WB took a flyer on in 1997, or probably they took the flyer in 1996. It aired starting in March 1997. They gave it a 12-episode show was produced before it even aired the first episode um it's actually one of these rare shows that has a um opening sequence uh theme music with a a wide range of clips from throughout its first season because they had those and in fact i believe they even (laughs) shot stuff for early episodes late in the run of the season when they knew things were going to you know where the story was going a little bit more clearly because they had that luxury because they didn't have to deliver their episodes until essentially they were done um uh, the wb in this era uh, for those who don't remember uh was a place that that showed terrible things like a sitcom starring Polly shore and was not a place for anything that anyone would probably want to watch so my point is uh, it was an unexpected thing that 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 this show would would make it. I think I'm not sure anybody really expected that it would be successful at all. They did their 12 episodes. It has an ending. I remember watching the premiere of this show, and 
my wife was taking classes and I had to go pick her up at the at the train station afterward. Uh, and I was so I was I was killing time essentially as you do when you're in your when you're in your twenties. And I I I started watching this and I picked her up at the train station and said, Do you know what I watched tonight? I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and it was actually kind of good. It was a surprise. And uh and uh when I hear people talk about it now, a lot of times I hear people say, oh, you should just skip the first season of Buffy. It's not any good. And I have a problem with that because I think that that is an unfair treatment of the first season of Buffy. Uh, it was it's it's a funny little season, 12 episodes. They didn't expect it to go anywhere uh, made on a shoe shoestring. But I feel like the roots of the uh, strong show that it was to become were already uh, pl- uh, present when they made these uh they're visible here and by the time the first season came to an end i was absolutely in love with this show already so that's my opening statement can i make a quick opening statement yeah, yes that was where <laughs> i was going monty good timing oh, great uh i also remember when i watched the first episode of buffy the vampire slayer it was not when it aired i didn't start watching the show until partway through season six and i know this because i watched an FX marathon where they started showing two episodes per day on January 1, 2002. And I said, this is when I'm jumping into this show that people keep talking about. And I kept copious notes and kind of live blogged my experience. So (laughs) I was able to, as we rewatched episodes for this, compare my notes for what I thought the first time I saw every single thing on the show. 14 years ago. And I will say... I don't think I don't think season one is that bad. It even contains what might be my favorite scene in the entire series. Intriguing. Ooh. David, do you have any opening statement to make about your, your how you discovered this show? Well, I also came to it late, not quite that late. Um, I came to it about midway through the second season because my first impulse was, oh, I saw the movie. The movie was fun, but eh. And so I just didn't watch it. Um, and the WB, you know, that was good shows don't happen no, on the WB. No, Polly Shore. Polly Shore Yep. You know, and this was filling in for the primetime soap Savannah. And, you know, it was, I, I was kind of sad because I couldn't have commercials for Savannah to make fun of for 12 weeks. So, you know, I was like, eh. And somewhere in the second season, an old friend of mine, uh, I've had lots of people tell me, Oh, you need to read or watch or go see blank because it's just like the way you write. It's you would love this. And I've been burned so many times. But I, th- th- this one friend who I trust implicitly on that, she she always she knows exactly that wavelength. And she's like, no, you have to watch this. Trust me. And I sat down and watched it. And went out and got the, they, they were, they, it was still like on VHS. VHS they were oh, releasing yeah. the VHSs and you could yep. get the three pack set with yep. basically the whole first season on it. I went out and bought that and watched the whole first season on VHS in between the first two episodes I saw of season two. And it was like, yep, okay. And then I was, I was in for the long run. Aline, what about you? What's your, what's your history with this show? You know, I, I'm trying to remember actually because. So it it aired in 97. Um, We didn't get the WB. uh, So I didn't actually start watching it until like the early 2000s. I couldn't even tell you what season. And it was only like really briefly 
um, because then I went away to college and didn't have a TV. So I actually haven't seen the last couple of seasons of Buffy. Um, my husband and I started a, a, a watch slash rewatch um, a few months ago. And uh, I, I don't know what's coming. Like, I think one of the latest episodes I've seen is um, is the musical, wow. which is amazing. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, once more with feeling. Um, so so my history with Buffy is actually like, I guess, more recentish because I, I saw it piecemeal. I never saw anything in order. I just kind of saw it as reruns came on TV. Um, I do own the first season on DVD because my intention before Netflix was to right. uh, to buy them and watch them all. And I remember thinking that the first season was weak. Um, but I've got to say, I've been watching it. I binge watched um I'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but I, I binge watched nine of the 12 episodes of the first season um, over the last couple of days. And I, it's pretty good. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking when I was like, it's, it's not that great. So um, I like it. I like there's some pretty quick character development that I think is awesome. Um, and so I think, you know, for a first season, especially it's one of the stronger first seasons I've seen, even like with modern TV competing against it. So, mm-hmm. you know, watch it, people. It's good. It's cheap. I mean, that that's the thing that struck me about it. I mean, it's so cheap that when this is actually it was airing when I went uh, to the Babylon 5 set and the, one of the producers on Babylon 5 said, uh, we were talking about Buffy briefly because some of the monsters, they, oh, the, um, the, the big bug monster in the teacher's pet episode of season one looks like it was possibly reused from Babylon five. Um, mm. and the guy said, yeah, um, I don't know what they're doing over there. It should probably look better given, given, you know, they, they should be able to make it look better than it does. I mean, you do get the sense like their budget was low and yeah. they didn't necessarily really know what they were doing. There wasn't a sci-fi industry to the to the level that there is now of genre TV. There was a lot less of it back then, believe it or right. not. Um, but uh, so it, it, there are moments where I think it looks cheap, but it's got um, it's got characters. It's got dialogue. It's got it, it really commits to the um, the the your your demons that tormented you in high school. What if those were actually demons? <laughs> premise of the show and gives you these standalone episodes that are very much like you know uh, drilling down into a, a a particular aspect of high school as a horror show and making those you know making those things real and exploring them that way it's got the it's got a, a great ensemble that's there from uh from the start it's got some interesting cast structures um especially since cordelia's in the opening credits and she's mm-hmm. like yeah a, a, a villain for almost the entire season um <laughs> that's really interesting and then i think one of the things about this show that struck me at the time that now seems normal but i think that's because that's how influential this was is the way that this season Season is structured is they have the big bad which i had never heard and i think is a term that was yep. coined by joss whedon in buffy the idea that yep. you have an overarching villain who carries through the season but not every episode is about them but some are and some are surprisingly so and then at the end buffy resolves its storyline and then you, you move on to the next season and that was not something that i that, that a lot of shows were doing at this point because a lot of shows were doing cliffhangers um, and things like that and instead with buffy uh, you know the master dies at the end of episode 12 
12. That's how that works. And he's been the big bad for the whole season from the very first episode. You know, you didn't have exactly those self-contained seasons where you had an overarching storyline that didn't necessarily show up all the time, but there'd be threads, um, you know, and, and then one thing that's really interesting, if, if you're paying attention, she only meets the master face to face in the final episode. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like, you know, oh, we're going to fight the master every week and then we're going to like beat him, but not all the way. Like the Flash does with Zoom, for example. Right. Right. And and, you know, and so looking back from here, you know, you wouldn't have all the Berlanti verse DC shows structured the same way. I mean, that they are all of them are playing off of the. Buffy playbook. I think there's so much here that is fully formed. Uh, maybe it helps that there was that screenplay for the movie. And so he had yeah. had time to think about it and what he had time to think about what he didn't like about what they did when they filmed it. And uh, and they also shot a pilot, we should say. There's a weird unaired pilot <laughs> that you can find on YouTube with the mm-hmm. wrong I don't low. like that. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. weird and no. disquieting. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's no good. No. Because I think Allison Hannigan is the character who best has her character down from her first line. Mm-hmm. And seeing that taken out of the pilot, I don't care for it. I explained to my children today at dinner that this is that um, the guy who made the Avengers movies was actually the guy who made my favorite TV show. And, and Julian's like, Joss Whedon, what did he do? And I said, he did Buffy. And he's like, oh, I had no idea. Oh. It's like, yeah, we, kid, we gotta, we gotta educate you. Should I, 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 I want to oh, yeah. ask about the episodes, but I think I actually want to start with the characters. Cause I think, mm-hmm. I think that, that the characters, the dialogue uh, are, are so strong in this. And I was thinking about Buffy. Um, I was thinking about Star Trek. And how people talk about like the, tri- the 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 triangle, the triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and how this is a really interesting dynamic that really drives a lot of the character interaction and 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 makes Star Trek, the original series, work the way it does is because of that. And I think about the structure of Buffy and I, the way the characters interact with each other. I think it's kind of brilliant. You've got you've got you've got Buffy who is the the core of the show. She's your Captain Kirk, essentially. She's your lead. She's the person with the power. She's the, the you know, in every generation a slayer is called, yada, yada. <laughs> so, uh, and she's got Xander and Willow, who are her peers. And they are also, as, as uh, Willow refers to at one point, they're the slayerettes. They're the uh, backup singers uh, mm-hmm. for, for, for them. But you've also got Giles, <laughs> who is Anthony Stewart Head. Great. Love Giles. Uh, he is, he, you know... I mean, God, how many scenes does he polish his glasses, right? He is he is Mr. <laughs> English librarian guy, right? But he provides that gravitas that's actually a lot of what I like about, like, Tom Cavanaugh and Jesse Martin in The Flash. It's that same kind of feeling uh, where he provides that adult perspective on the on the struggles of the young people, which is kind of cool. Well, well, and and he sells it because he's an adult taking them all seriously and taking all these fantastic things seriously. Giles provides the valuable service of somebody who doesn't talk like a Whedon character all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you've got the quippiness and the what's the sitch and all this going on. And then somebody else comes in and doesn't talk like that. Or once in a while he does, and that's awesome. Well, because he's a grown-up. Yeah. So you've got him as the advisor. You've got Angel as this mysterious romantic figure who's on the side and and not in the opening credits of the first season, which is kind of nope. interesting. Uh, but he is present throughout the season. And then and and you have, uh, you have Cordelia, as I mentioned earlier, who is terrible 
great. Mm, she's the best. She's the best, but she's just awful to them. She's an awful person, <laughs> but she's in the credits and you all the whole season. You're like, why is she in the credits? And then in the last two episodes, the world kind of opens up for her yeah. and it's really interesting. Right. So I, I, I look at this, this ensemble and I think this is a really interesting collection of people and the, the dynamic and, and, and great casting and all that. So I, that's my, you know, if you've got observations, I can walk through the characters if you want. But if you've got observations about these characters, please share, because I think uh, I think the structure and the individual characters are great. I, I was going to say with Cordelia, it's high school, so you have to have a mean girl, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have to- a mean girl who's 27 years old. Yeah, well, well yes. Well, That's, and also that puts Buffy in opposition to Cordelia because you get the sense exactly. throughout, and, and and if you see the seen the Buffy movie, it's absolutely the, clear there that Cordelia is what Buffy was, and Buffy now because yes. she's the Slayer and because she's been outcast from L.A. and has to live in you know terrible Sunnydale, it's not L.A. <laughs> at all. She is she is no longer popular like Cordelia, and she's got to run around, and she she loves Xander and Willow, but the fact is she is now. Uh, her status has cast her out. And so Cordelia represents everything that Buffy has lost from her life by being the Slayer. And then Cordelia gets to do cool things once towards the end of the first season, like roaring up in the car and saying, get in, which is <laughs> awesome. Because <laughs> it's the last thing you expect at that point. Yeah. Cordelia's character growth is something I really like about the series. Yeah. And it's why I react with horror I've heard people say they've watched Angel but not Buffy. I don't understand how you can do that. Oh, you don't man. understand, yeah. man. That's that's like coming in at the beginning of Act Three in a character's life. Yeah, I think she is excellent. I uh, yeah. she's she's one of those people I really love to hate because you get these glimpses of her, like especially uh, the the not prom. Oh, what is whatever that dance is? And the the she's spring like, fling, yeah, the, whatever yeah. the maid with a maid yeah. queen, yeah, yeah. And you know she's she's like campaigning, and she's such a rotten person. And then we get these like <laughs> glimpses where it's like, oh, she's super insecure. Like she is extremely insecure, and she's hiding that behind like all of this BS, right? And um. And it's just like glimpses that are played so, so well. And we see more and more of that as, you know, as things go on and then kind of an angel too. Um, I love, I love the Xander Willow Buffy um, dynamic, especially as, you know, in seasons two and three, because um, they just, they really work together well. It never felt to me like they were trying to get their feet under them. They just seemed to have a rapport kind of right away. And I think that's um, hard. I think that's extremely hard. It's not something that I see very often. Uh, Willow, I love. Okay, so I love we have main characters. We have Cordelia. We have Buffy. We have Willow. We have Xander. Um, I guess we've got like basically three men and three women. Don't forget Jesse. Jesse's their buddy. Jesse's going to be with him forever. Oh, Jesse's dead. Sorry. Oh, poor Jesse. Nobody believed that for one second. Jesse is so boring. Yeah. I said in 2002 that Darla has more character in the first syllable of her introduction than <laughs> Jesse does in every second of screen time put together. I just like to imagine yeah, that Jesse, right. Jesse is the one who is the lifelong friend of Xander and Willow. And then like, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we just never, yep. let's never talk about Jesse again. Like, I mean, we don't lament him at all. It's just like, oh, okay, well. But you're right. You've got happened. you've got you got Buffy and Willow and Cordelia. You've also got Jenny Callender who was kicking around mm-hmm. for a few episodes in here too. She's so, yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah, she's I awesome. wish she'd stayed longer. So I wanted, to, I wanted to say something, and we were talking about this uh, before we got started. Um, thing that struck me about the dynamic here that I totally have suppressed, and I think it's because once it get they get out of season one, this is never an issue again, is I had Ugh. forgotten how much Xander is pining after Buffy throughout. And, 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 and there's so many painful scenes of him trying to ask her out and failing. And then he has a pity party for himself at the end of the season where he finally asks her out and she says, I, you know, I don't, I just I don't, don't see you that way. I don't see you that way. Cause how could I? You're Xander. <laughs> Yeah, you're the Zeppo. Uh, he blames Angel immediately, which is so deluded, right? But I th- and I think intentionally, like the, the 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 Joss Whedon knows that he's deluded, but it doesn't it's, matter. It's very true to life. And, yeah. and 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 so here's the thing: is it's painful, and Xander Xander gets a lot better later, and the the individual scenes really bugged me. At the same time, I remember watching this at, 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 on first watch and thinking, well, Buffy's kind of great. It sort of makes you know who if you were. Xander, would you not have a crush on Buffy and try to do something about it? But in, in hindsight, it goes on so long. Yeah. And that that's just, I feel mm-hmm. like, and, and Willow is no help because she's also strangely, <laughs> unfortunately passive because she's playing that she's she's in love with Xander and it's unrequited and mm. and all of these things but she won't say anything or do anything about it and she you know the the, the closest she comes is in the episode where um where Xander says that she's one of the guys and later um Xander is told that he's one of the girls and <laughs> uh that's a nice turnabout and she has great glee in that um but you know that that whole dynamic—that's what struck me as being not as good as I remembered it because it just goes on forever. Yeah. In in fact, I in my rewatch, I only watched nine of the twelve. As I said, um, two of the twelve I did not watch were, or two of the three I did not watch were, uh, featuring Xander, Xander. being pupescent boy. Yeah. Um, I I just they're not good episodes, and I was just like I. You know, if I want to be exposed to this, I can look at Twitter and see, yep. you know, see, see, you know, men or boys like being behaving being badly. Weird. Yep. And and I just I I don't want to watch that. So I just I skipped them um, because, yeah, he's he's excessive and gross uh-huh. And also kind of puppy dog like it's it's like this weird combination. He's super needy. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I still love about him is that a lot of the funny lines that are, he is the Joss Whedon surrogate for a lot of funny lines. <laughs> yes. But he's so yeah. so needy and over. It's just too much. I think. Yeah. In, in hindsight, I think he may get too many of the funny lines. Like especially in the first episode, Nicholas Brendan kind of struggles with his pure quip density. I like Xander better when he's a little more normal. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And even even later, yeah, I mean, I I really liked him by the end, obviously. But uh, even even as far in as the episode The Zeppo, you know, as that plot the first time I watched it, you know, I'm kind of going, oh, it's a Xander episode. Okay. <laughs> I love Xander, but, um, but, but I think that's the reason. I love Xander because I know his, I know where he ends up. I know the, mm-hmm. the, the, the story arc for him. 
but um, but here, yeah, it's it's so, so much pining over Buffy, where there's clearly nothing there. There's clearly nothing there, right? Mm-hmm. And yet he right. never he he, yeah. he there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of sitcommy uh attempts to talk to her that just made me roll my like in the witch especially there's a bunch but it really plays all the way out to prophecy girl at the end of the season and that that didn't that, that I didn't I didn't love that I didn't like the pining but I did like once he's shut down and has whined a little more the scene where he puts his own feelings aside to go to Angel and say we have to do something that could have been done without as much run up though. Yeah. His story arc is that he hits bottom. Essentially he pines over her the whole season and then he hit, and then he finally asks her out and she says no. And he, he pouts like a baby and then he grows (laughs) and then he grows up and says, I, what, what matters here is that the world not end and Buffy not die. I'm going to go to angel and swallow my pride. And then he gets to be the hero, right? Because she's dead face down in the water. She's been killed by the master. Angel can't bring her back to life. And he's, the one who brings her back to life and that's his redemption right that he's finally kind of come come around at the end but it all happens in the course of like 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) can i just say that angel says i can't bring her back i have no breath two seconds after panting heavily because he ran down there to get her that's because he's out of breath that's what he meant it's it's (laughs) not a vampire thing he's just really really tired it's not human breath he can clearly breathe that's how he talks it can't be used for cpr Mm. it's like it's a magic thing monty it's just you wouldn't understand all right maybe he just said that to let xander do it and make him feel better see he's a good guy he is a good guy i don't like this angel i hope somebody stabs him So let's see who else. Who else are we talking about? Giles. I wanted to mention again. I did laugh. Oh, I mean, man. seriously, he he cleans his glasses so often. Mm-hmm. It is a. It is the. It is such a great Tweedy. Like I. I feel for for uh, British Buffy fans. I mean, this is yes. This is what we think you all are, right? This is the stereotype. Oh my god. But um. But it's a great performance, and I love his exasperation. There's a there's a nice moment, and I think the witch where she, Buffy declares she's going to go out for the cheerleading squad and he says i forbid it and she says what are you gonna do and he's like appeal to your own good judgment <laughs> it's like so it's so great like he's there as the advisor he, he, he she turns to him because she needs to but he, he can't order her around and they and they build a really legitimately great relationship he, mm-hmm. he is such yeah. a great um adult a parental figure. Buffy also essentially doesn't have a father, uh, but as a as, so he's not just the gravitas, right? But he he's such a, uh, a a true like friend and mentor to all of them. And I'm not sure that's a relationship we see a lot on TV. And 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 that's not so really, great no. about Giles. No, and and I mean you you and I are both married to librarians, and I don't know about you, but mine <laughs> loves the fact that here is a genre thing about a kick-ass librarian who helps save the world over and over again. I'm not sure he's a very good librarian. I don't know either. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> no one ever well, uses he, the library. It's a front. It's all, it's, it's all. He's a watcher. He's not actually <laughs> a library. He's a research librarian. Actually, how about that? That's right. The season one school only has like two rooms and one hallway, and no one ever goes <laughs> in the big room. It's true. Libraries are bad. Um, well, I was going to say he Giles is the parent. Like Buffy's he mom is, is yeah. 
kind of awful. She's totally scattered in this. Again, Joyce <laughs> yeah. also gets better in future yes. seasons, but here she's just unpacking boxes and not listening to her daughter and right. doing drive-by uh, drive-by parenting where she'll like mm-hmm. give her a stern talking to and then she's gone again. Mm-hmm. And kind of telling her, hey, Buffy, you kind of suck. Like, hey, look at all this awful stuff you've done. It's the superhero thing, too, which Joss Whedon has said that this is essentially like Spider-Man. Uh, this is, this is a, that, that was right. one of the models for, right. for Buffy. And the problem, if you're the superhero with a secret identity and your parents don't know, then you get in right. trouble with your parents. So he can't have, like, the home... She can't have the home, home parent, but she can have the work parent. Who knows? And that's Giles. Yeah, so I, I love Giles. I would like <laughs> no. to have a Giles in my life. We all need a know. Giles, <laughs> really. Right. I think so. You, you look at the structure of, of how the show is built, how the arcs are built, how the characters are designed, how the interactions are designed, and it's no wonder that Joss had, I mean, clearly he read a lot of comic books, and it's no surprise mm-hmm. that he went into comic books, actual comic books, and then you know graduated to directing comic book movies, because... This is ready-made for that kind of world. Angel. So Angel appears from the very beginning. He's, it's a mystery about what his, uh, what his uh, story is. But over time, we learn his history that Darla, uh, who we see in the very first scene, uh, which is a fantastic scene, um, Darla made him a vampire long ago. Um, and when he was, when he was a young Irish boy with a very terrible Irish accent, sorry, mm-hmm. David Boreanaz, <laughs> David Boreanaz has gotten a lot better as an actor after 20 years, by the way. Um, uh, but, uh, Angel, it becomes a prominent character on Buffy, obviously ends up with his own TV show, um, that was also quite good actually. But, um, I, I'm wondering what people think of him here. He, he's, he gets to be <laughs> mysterious stranger for a very, very long time. <laughs> Dreamy, he's though. very dreamy. pretty here. Yes. <laughs> so dreamy. <laughs> he's improved from being a block of wood to a block of wood that, that has facial expressions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. To try to sell me on a, a TV series starring Angel and be like, really? But they kind of pulled it off. It was kind of amazing. But here, here he's, you know, he's, he's Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome. He turns out he's a vampire. So we get the whole great star-crossed lovers thing. I am not convinced at all that he was meant to be a vampire at the beginning. I'm not either. It's mm-hmm. he, he, he's, they didn't I think they hadn't decided right it's there's no like telltale hint we don't yeah. really get any of that for a little while I don't know I, I think you know what's what's the one person a slayer shouldn't fall in love with a vampire I think that was there so Romeo and Juliet the start. yeah could be because what else would he be? Could be. And, and a good, the idea of a good vampire is also interesting. You're in this struggle with with vampires and with the master who's trying to escape. Oh, hey, what do people think about the master? I was always sad that we didn't get more flashbacks <laughs> in the master in future seasons because he doesn't have a lot to do. He really is just down in his little cave, pushing at his little uh, special effect bubble that, do, that doesn't <laughs> allow him to get out. But I don't know. He, he, he was uh, weird and creepy and not... Uh, I don't know. I, I Every time I revisit season one, I'm like, oh, the master. And I think we see him like one more time. I love his sense of humor. I kept wondering why, why none of his acolytes didn't like why nobody staked him. Like he's stuck <laughs> in this bubble. He can't do anything. He needs them to feed him. He needs like he, he is completely helpless. And these these like evil vampires are like. 
like yes, lap dogs. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. What he's like a, he's a cult like, leader. He's a he's a vo- vampire cult leader. Oh, I, I was going to say it's assisted living for elderly vampires. Oh. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's older than all of them. Maybe he turned all of them. I don't know. Yeah, I think, but yeah, he's, I think he's like two hundred he years older than Vlad the Impaler, supposedly. Yeah, he's like he's yeah. like he's like Dracula, only worse. It's the master, yeah. but but he he only walks outside in the last episode of the season when they finally free him when the prophecy <laughs> finally frees him from from uh, but I, I enjoy i enjoy the master as a big bad though because he's lurking yeah. the whole time he's scheming the whole time but as david said earlier we don't get that confrontation until the end instead she sends luke after it, her and he sends darla after her he's got the, he gets the anointed one he do, he's doing all the stuff right. he's but there are a bunch of episodes behind the scenes where he's working on things but you know he's just in the background making trouble until the end when he finally escapes This week's episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that has created one perfect mattress sold directly to you at home via the internet. It's an obsessively engineered mattress, and the price is shockingly fair. So uh, let me drill down on a few of these points. So the, the mattress itself, it's got springy latex as well as supportive memory foams, and you put them all together and you create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. I've been sleeping on one for a year and a half now, and I love it. It is very good. Now, the internet part. Uh, it might be scary to buy a mattress on the internet, but if you think about how uh, mattress shopping happens in showrooms, you're often laying down on the mattress for a minute or two minutes. It gets really awkward. It's daytime. People are all around you and you're laying on a mattress trying to imagine what it would be like to lay on it for eight hours. And you can't do that. Uh, with the internet mattress from Casper, guess what happens? It comes to you in a box. You open it up. It expands to fill the space. It becomes a full-size mattress. Uh, whatever size you choose, uh, they will send it to you and it's the same deal. And then Here's the thing. You can try it for up to 100 nights. So you'll know whether the, this Casper mattress is right for you. You have time to try it out in real life, in your own house, and decide. And if you don't like it, guess what? They will pick it up and give you a refund. It's that simple. And then let's go to the fair price point. Mattresses often cost over $1,500. Casper mattresses cost $500 for twin, $600 for twin extra long, $750 for full, $850 for queen, and $950 for king. So it's got a space-age design. You can try it risk-free from the internet without having to go to a showroom somewhere, and the prices are super competitive. They're very good prices. So why not give it a try now? Go to casper.com Snell and use code Snell at checkout to get $50 toward any mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com Snell. And thank you to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Should we talk about the episodes a little bit? Just do a little survey? Sure. <laughs> There's episodes I like. I want to talk about them. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest. I think this is a pretty good pilot, even though it's not a pilot because they, they're on YouTube. Don't watch it. Um, but they, uh, <laughs> a nice two-part episode. It aired together, even though they've got different directors. It, was, it, it, it premiered as a two-part episode, even though um, it was obviously produced as two separate episodes. Uh, and this is your, you know, hey, we have Jesse and Buffy meets her new watcher and they go down in the sewers and the, the master has got his 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 plot. Um, 
I think it's a good pilot. We set up all the characters. We get the new girl at school. There's, I did actually like that line. Hey, did you hear new girl? What do you tell me about? What can you tell me about her? New girl. Uh, I kind of like, I kind of like that, that the, the kids are idiots, which is why at the end, uh, Giles's last line is the world is doomed, uh, because the teenagers are the ones who are going to have to save the world. And I really like the opening scene. That's like the, that's like Joss, Joss mm-hmm. Whedon laying down his card of like, this is what this show is, which is it's a pretty blonde girl and a big strapping guy, and they're sneaking into a place to make out or something, and then there's a noise, and she's scared, and he goes to see what it is, and she turns into a vampire, and she kills him. It's like, yeah, I think the uh, that, that, the, that horror trope of the helpless woman uh, alone with a guy in a horror movie that the, that's like message one in this is the little blonde is not going to be the victim and that's mm-hmm. the show yeah. everything about this show flipping tropes is just delightful yeah, yeah. Uh, i think it's a great pilot because by the end of the first episode there's a shot of giles xander willow and buffy in the library and even the first time i saw it, i was like oh this is right yeah. This is the team. Yeah. We're going to follow these guys for years. Yep. It's, it's the bridge of the Enterprise. Yep. That's exactly exactly right. Um, another scene that I really love in this is at the bronze. Um, strange business model at the bronze. Anyway, uh, at the bronze, <laughs> yeah. um, there is that scene where um, Buffy proves her power to Giles. He's going to lecture her about going out when she should be, I don't know what, studying about vampires or patrolling or something. And she picks out a vampire because not because she has some uh, amazing sense but because his clothes are out of date he's been underground yep. for 30 yeah. years such a <laughs> yeah. great moment right i'm it's certain like, that was the odd oh you think so yeah uh, it's a great it's a great back and forth between them and it says so much about how you need to take her seriously even though you might not think that you should you absolutely should she she's she's already very good at what she does it, it's really setting up that relationship between the two of them how like Giles is very, you know, the the English, you know, mm. this is how it's done. And Buffy's like, F that, I'm going to do things my way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're going to have to deal with it. And, like, we get that right from the beginning. And it doesn't take Giles too long to, like, be like, okay, like, obviously, I'm not going to convince her that she needs to do things differently. And so he adapts to her, which is something I, I really love, too. Yeah. Mm, that's true. Yeah, but he sees he sees here in this scene, right, that he... You know he can he can run her down about like not taking her job seriously, but she's got the goods. She she you know she spots the vampires and she takes care of the situation and the bronze and uh, yeah, I think it's a really good pilot. It 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 it, it introduces all the characters. It introduces all the tensions that are going to happen in the first season. We get Cordelia who is initially warm to Buffy and then of course turns on her because Buffy's got you know stakes in her backpack and <laughs> is weird and hangs around with losers. And Buffy is like, uh, these are my friends. You're a jerk and that and tells her off and and becomes unpopular because of it. Like we get everything and we, and we do like Monty said, end on the bridge of the enterprise. Uh, this is where they're, this is where they're going to be. This is the, there's your show. That's what the show is. I, I was rewatching the pilot with, uh, I shouldn't say pilot, the first episode, uh, with the kids and the 14 year old is watching and he goes, 
everywhere they go is really dark. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I said, well, okay, it's, you know, it's a vampire show for one thing, so it does kind of have to be dark. But but the more I, the more we were watching, it was thinking, like, this is great. You know, you've got a, a nightclub that's badly lit. You've got tunnels and crypts that are badly lit. They must have saved so much money on so lighting much. in this. This is so much brilliant money. filmmaking. And once they can afford stuntmen in the second season, mm-hmm. you'll be able to hide them better because it's badly lit. They yeah, don't have right. stuntmen in the first season, and it no. shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, perfunctory fight. <laughs> and now it's over. <laughs> I, I have one thing to say about these, the bronze. Well, two things. One, I think the acoustics and the bronze are crazy because there's a live band and people 20 feet away can have conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the two scenes in the bronze where Buffy and Willow talk about dating philosophy and then Buffy and Giles talk about him scolding her and her showing off her powers, those really feel to me like the scenes that the actors had to audition with to mm. see if they had chemistry. Mm. And they do have chemistry. Yeah. There's just so much about those scenes that establish who the characters are and how they think and how their philosophies clash against each other that it feels like they had to work through those scenes first. So in which uh, there is, uh, this, this is the cheerleading episode. It had to happen. <laughs> what you get is this this really interesting episode that has got a Cordelia dynamic um, because she really wants to be a cheerleader, uh, and there's the competition angle here. There's the there's some painful stuff with Xander that made me not want to watch that part. Um, but at its core, this is also about Amy, who is this really weird character that we meet who is super obsessed with her mother and her mother's greatness. And you think that this is an episode about living up to uh, your parents. And it turns out it's it's worse than that because she's literally had her youth and her body stolen by her mother. So this is the manifestation of parents trying to relive their glory days through their children. In this case, Amy's mom do- literally does that to her. Um, and then, yeah, there's spells and they steal the spell book. And there's a creepy scene where they go visit the mom and find out that it's Amy and she's, she, she doesn't, she's not allowed out and she just sits on the couch and eats brownies all day. And, yeah, but I, I like this episode because it is it is that archetype of of we're going to take an issue of of being a, a, of growing up and turn it into a manifestation of a, an actual like a, a, a monster. Or in this case, it's like a magic adversary. Like a lot of episodes, the concept for this one is, OK, but what if that happened literally? Yep. Which I think is great. I agree. Like, taking a metaphor and saying because I have a supernatural show, I can make that actually happen. And then watching how that plays out, I think is really what gives the show a lot of its legs. The thing I love about this um, is, is it actually takes something that I really love about Star Trek and establishes it right away. So in Star Trek, if, especially the next generation, if um, I know there's an episode where Deanna Troy is having like, some hallucinations when she's sleeping and she goes to captain Picard and she's like, Hey, this thing is happening. And instead of Picard being like, okay, we need to get you a psych eval. It's like, okay. So what external influences are exerting themselves on you? And it's the same in Buffy, how they can go to Giles and they can be like, look, this weird thing is happening. And he's like, okay, let's figure out what's what's going on, you know, which is something that teenagers don't get a lot of is the benefit of the doubt and adults believing that that the things that they observe are real. And I really, really love that. And it's established right away. Meanwhile, Joyce says to Buffy, Buffy's like, I haven't gotten in trouble. She says, well, not yet. Right. It's right. Like, not a lot of <laughs> not a lot of belief in her at home. But um, one of those gold star parenting moments. But yeah, but Giles is like, 
uh, oh, this is magic. It could be a witch, right? Like he's he's right. on it. He's he's seen things. Yeah, and also a cheerleader catches on fire. So that also happens in this episode. <laughs> Also, I have to say this episode must have underrun because there is so much cheerleading. Oh my goodness! <laughs> they, 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 either that or they were really proud that they hired a professional dancer to be the one cheerleader who catches on fire, and so they show her doing a whole like dance routine mm-hmm. by herself, and it goes on forever. <laughs> yeah, it really does. If you like cheerleading, um, maybe you like that better. But I, I was shocked at how long that went. Next episode is Teacher's Pet. Uh, this is the first episode written by David Greenwald, who would go on to be co-executive producer and run uh, Angel. Um, I didn't rewatch this episode because, you know, it's the one where uh, Xander falls in love with the substitute teacher and she turns out to be a, bu- a bug lady. Yep. I didn't watch this one either. <laughs> I don't love it. What if something boring happened? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There is one notable thing, and it's it's in the beginning, which is a teacher actually showing an interest in Buffy and showing some faith in her abilities. And I think that is something that is noteworthy about this, that she's the slayer, right? Like, And everybody's looking to her to save the day and guide them and, and make everything okay. And she's a teenager and she needs reassurance and she needs, you know, people encouraging her. And, and she gets that from this teacher and then he's eaten by a giant praying mantis. But, um, I think that that's like an important bit of, of, uh, character, not, not necessarily development, but something to note about her is that, She's 16. Well, char- character understanding. Yeah. 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 In uh, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, we get some dating stress while the master is also scheming. But she 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 takes out a she takes out a boy, but then, you know, bad things happen and he ends up uh being really excited that um that she's involved in all this adventure and she uh drops him because she doesn't want she's trying to look for normalcy in her life and and uh the boy owen cannot give that to her because he's sort of like oh that's really cool i could she's got enough friends helping her in this part of her life um i think this is not a particularly um notable episode although the master is scheming and the anointed one is discovered isn't this the first time since the pilot that the master shows up again thus telling us that he's actually going to be a recurring deal I think so. That's something. I think so, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I learned to not trust teenage boys who are obsessed with Emily Dickinson and love her because she's so morbid. I don't think Emily Dickinson was the right pick. I think Byron or something, it maybe Sylvia weird. Plath. Poe even, although that's a little on the nose, but more believable than Dickinson. Uh, okay, the pack. <laughs> Skipped it. Skipped it. <laughs> Saw it once, didn't need to see it again. This, this, is, this is about like... Being running, running with a pack, running with a with a group, and a group the problems with group alpha males. with group dynamic problems with group dynamics and all of that, and it's definitely you know making an issue of it. I don't really love the the hyenas and all of that. However, it is notable because uh, the principal gets eaten in this episode. Mm. Oh yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> Can I quote my description of this show from two thousand two? Yeah. On a field trip to a zoo, Xander joins up with the bad crowd because of some magical hyenas. Then the bad crowd starts killing things until a zookeeper gets eaten. It may sound silly, but when you watch it, it's actually ludicrous. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have entertained myself from the past. Mm. This episode had something that bothered me throughout the series where something starts going wrong, like your one of your characters becomes a hyena or finds a magical <laughs> letterman's jacket or gets hypnotized or whatever. And somebody always doesn't believe it. Like in this case, Giles doesn't believe that something weird is going on. And I really felt like in the world of this show, you can't ever poo-poo someone who says, I think there's a supernatural thing happening. Yeah. There's always a supernatural thing happening, Giles. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if we're going to go with that, why does anyone live in Sunnydale? You know, like. It's nice. <laughs> Sunny. Real estate. Good, uh, good cost cheap. of living. Yeah. Real estate's cheap because yeah. there's so many empty houses. A lot of churn okay. in yeah, Sunnydale. A lot of churn. <laughs> The uh the the angel episode is is next. This is uh mm. you know hey get to know Angel see his story. He was turned into a vampire by Darla. Darla threatens Joyce, Buffy's mom. Uh, you know any thoughts about the the angel episode? This is this is where it's very much like at last we know he, he's a vampire she's a, i mean this is the twilight episode right except this predates twilight i feel like buffy just missed its mm-hmm. window by just a little bit because this is super angsty young beautiful girl is in love with beautiful guy who turns out to be a vampire oh how could their love possibly be allowed to continue um it we've seen it a lot this since. is the good one i know i know <laughs> tumblr would have loved this show oh, if man. tumblr had been around mm-hmm. oh if so if social media had been a thing in 1997 oh my god and even even so i mean you were on live journal and and i was on live journal and there were <laughs> news groups and you know but it wasn't it didn't have the same penetration because no. we didn't have the bandwidth to post pictures of david yeah. boreanaz's brooding face no, I would go to work and there were people at work who loved Buffy and we would talk about it like at work. Right, that was, right. That was what we, we did. <laughs> that was what we had to do. David Boreanaz. He's okay. I think this is a I good, guess. I think this is a good episode. I think this is not just setting some yeah. mythology, but you're getting all the premise of like, he's trying to help. Now we know why he's trying to help, but also he's got this whole problem and he's, he is a good vampire. We get to learn that, but he's still a vampire and he has all these other issues. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, Giles is uh, talks to Joyce, so we get the 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 surrogates meeting Mr. Giles. Um, there's just there's a lot there's a lot in here, so I think this is I think this is one of the important episodes of the first season for sure. I find every episode with Joyce is more meaningful once you've watched the whole series. Yeah, I agree. Like every time I see her, I'm thinking. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, uh, we were talking about this in the incomparable Slack today. I Robot You Jane, not a particularly <laughs> notable episode, but it does no. it does feature a good title. S- yeah, a good title, and yeah. there's a they scan a an evil book into a computer, <laughs> which puts a demon in the computer. It's in the computer. It's in the computer. Watching this with two kids of today, <laughs> you know, and I have to, I had to keep saying this is 1997. So they're like, "What is that? That's a computer. What? Really? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? That's a that's a phone. A phone with a cord. That that was a mm-hmm. thing. You know." Oh, what's it? and it's not. I mean, they've watched old movies. It's not, but but there was just something about all the focus on technology in this one that every step of the way, it's like, what is that? That's a that's a monitor. That's that's they're not flat. It's you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel so old. 
I mean, tell me about it's it. not a terrible idea. No. It's terribly executed. Yes. Yeah. I don't think they had the money for a good demon robot. Yeah. yeah. And Jenny Callender's in this. That's nice. I, I've never liked her. Throughout this season, we get, and we get it into the future, the whole idea, too, that Willow is, I'm just going to hack into this thing in Sunnydale. <laughs> <laughs> and and she does that all the time, and they make jokes about they it. They wanted to give her a hook. Yeah, they did. That was her character hook. It's because of Willow that we have all the security things now. This is a whole episode of that kind of like po- plots uncomplicated by computer mumbo jumbo. And here it's they've got a, there's a demon in the computer. This is, uh, yeah. This is this is like a bad X-Files episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and as someone who Or a great 24 episode. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. As someone who's a contemporary with these, so my freshman year of high school started in 1997. So, like, it's it's right on, right? And I was very careful about my online identity when then. Like, I'm I'm much more like I use my real name on Twitter. I would not have used my real name on Twitter if it had existed in 1997. Your real name didn't exist in 1997. <laughs> it didn't. No, that, that's a recent thing. A real wow. name for me. Um, so, so I found it really unbelievable that someone as like, quote, plugged in as Willow was, would just be like, well, Malcolm lives 80 miles away and Malcolm's my age and Malcolm says, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was really careful. And the people, you know, other teens I knew who were using, you know, dial up internet with our fancy modems, you know, we were really careful about, um, what we believed and what we didn't believe. And I know that wasn't universally true, but it just felt like the nerdy people like Willow were more aware than Willow tends to be in this episode. Well, let's, let's move on. We'll kick it into the, the end game of this season, the puppet show. Um, uh, I, I, I love the puppet show. I know that Aline didn't even watch it because of the creepy puppet. So I watched, I watched like the last 10 minutes of it because I was like, all right, I'll watch, I'll watch him die again. Uh, Um, uh, He's just so he's, he's too creepy. Well, it's, it's, I love that it's, you know, it takes the trope of like the movie magic from the seventies. Twilight Zone did two, two episodes about creepy dummies. dummies. Yeah. And it takes that trope. And then it turns out, wait a minute, he's not the evil. No. He, he is alive, but he's not the evil one, right? And, and you know, again, the kids are watching this one and going, oh, my God, creepy doll, creepy doll. Oh, it's going to kill people. It's, oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And, you know, once that <laughs> twist happened, he was hooked. It was like, oh, this is a cool idea. Because they set it up, right? Yeah. They set it up that yeah. it's that it's uh, you, ooh, they're going to think it's the kid, but it's really the doll, and then it's not the doll either. I love that moment when Buffy and Sid are are like literally at each other's throats, like about mm. you know about like in the middle of going at it, and and Buffy's like you know basically you're the one doing all of this, and he's like you're the one doing all of this, and they're like wait what? <laughs> yeah. And you just look at each other, and I think that that really is a great moment, but I just he's. He, yeah, he's he, he's so gross. Yeah, I, he is. But that that's I got I kind of I love I love it. I love that he's he's yeah he's gross and annoying and he's cursed and he was you know he wasn't always a dummy but he's been cursed in this and if he can kill this last creature there's a whole 
seven of them and whatever and he's killed six and this is the last one then he can then he's then he's free of his curse which means he's gonna die um i think this is a really funny episode and this is a point i wanted to make about this whole season and this whole series um so many shows these days are so serious we were talking about like even like some of the some of the marvel shows are serious rob des hotel and dean batali who wrote this episode wrote another episode this season that wasn't that wasn't as good that was uh that was the uh, never kill a boy on a first date but um these guys are are comedy writers i think they wrote for that 70s show um joss whedon's scripts are funny um all i I get the sense that there is a comedy sensibility in the writing here where they are looking for jokes to tell and i love it and it was such a change of pace from these shows that even when they're good are so serious and never take a moment to lighten the mood or say something memorable and funny like there there is a in in the um out of mind out of sight episode which we're going to talk about in a minute um there is a stupid one-liner where they're talking about the 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 kid getting beaten up by a bat that was floating in midair and Xander just says maybe it's a vampire bat and they all give him a death look <laughs> it's a stupid joke but it's like they made a joke look they made a yeah. joke in a show yeah. and and this episode is full of them and i love that it just it, it although it is in its own little internal consistency of its world it is not afraid to just be funny. And um, and the show in general, I think, this season in particular, it's very clear that they had that sensibility and so, sh- so few shows seem to have that. I will say that it's a sad commentary that one of the most serious shows uh, in the superhero genre, it, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was in fact created by Joss Whedon. Yeah. 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 The, the other thing that I really like about this episode is that it is constructed, I mean, it's not a murder mystery, but it's constructed in a similar way where you have the, the setup, it's, it's beautifully laid out to have the least likely suspect turn out to be the demon that needs to be killed. But it's so beautifully set up that you don't necessarily see it coming. And I love that kind of plotting. I also really like the end where it's showing Xander Willow and Buffy doing oh. their talent mm-hmm. show thing. <laughs> I think the only time they did something over the end credits that wasn't just playing music over black, that they did this, this, uh, their, their awkward stage performance. We also get Cordelia's terrible, terrible performance <laughs> of the greatest uh-huh. love of all. Um, and she's convinced it's great. Yep. And we get Armin Shimmerman throughout as the yes, new principal. New principal. <laughs> principal Quark fan- from Deep Space Nine. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's so good. But, Especially uh, for me, my favorite moment of his is where he's absolutely silent at the end of the show, watching the Oedipus thing yes. with with Giles next to him. And, and it's sort of that combination of, well, this is intelligent and they've picked something classic and they are awful. Yeah. What have I done? Oh. <laughs> Doesn't he say, I don't get it? Like He's like, I don't get yeah. it. Well, that, that's at the, yeah. at the very uh, end of the show before that. Yeah. Right, it's uh, at the where oh, the, right. where the yeah, curtains part, right. and he and he just sees the tableau, and it's like that's such a great yeah. joke, right? They they they. There's the there's the guy who's got who's been who's been killed by the guillotine, <laughs> and there's the the they're holding the um they've got the the, the, the mannequin the dummy or the yeah, yeah. The, the ventriloquist dummy and there's and and Giles is there and all that and then the curtain why but the curtain rises and everybody is confused and he says I don't yeah. get it and it's just a really great joke like uh, we've all been in the moment of them trying to not have Giles get guillotined right and <laughs> and then and then we pull back and it's like oh there are people out there this is ridiculous and uh, it's very funny so nightmares 
is an episode that is not very interesting, I think. Is any, sorry, David Greenwald, uh, showrunner of uh, hmm. a Grimm now. Uh, but this is like one of those episodes that I don't even remember. It's more with the anoint, anointed one. Anybody watch this one? It's based on a story by Joss. So Joss Whedon is given story credit on a, on a bunch of episodes toward the end of the season where I get the sense that he had a lot of ideas for episodes that he could, but mm-hmm. he couldn't write them all. Uh, and so he was like, Oh yeah. Invisible girl. Sure. A uh, person who's in your nightmares. Yeah. You, you write that one. Um, and well, and, and, but it is also building to that finale that he is writing. Yes, that's true. Right? Yeah. So the little details where it's like, here, you do this and put this in there. It's an interesting idea. And I like yeah. the graveyard scene. So I like, you know, where suddenly Buffy's like, it was day and now it's night and she's in a graveyard and what's going on. And this is her first encounter with the master. I mean, it's a dream encounter, a nightmare encounter, but it's still her first encounter with the master. Um and it really shows, you know, more more character development for Buffy, right? Like, what is she really afraid of? And um, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was an interesting concept. Like, they could look across the street and all of a sudden there's there's a graveyard there and it's weirdly night somehow and the special effects are bad. Uh, so I liked those things. Um and I also kind of like that they don't know what's going on right away. Like, it felt like, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just the episode. I don't know. It felt like it took them a little bit longer to get what was actually going on. And maybe a quicker resolution than normal. But I kind of like that they had more of a struggle because it was more abstract, I guess, to try to figure out what was causing all of this to happen. Okay, out of mind, out of sight. I- this is the Invisible Girl episode. I really like this episode, although in watching it again, I'm sho- sort of shocked by the pacing of it because it goes on a long time. There are yeah. there there there's <laughs> there there should be more is incident in here. I feel like, and instead, what we get is sort of repeating menace of Invisible Girl for a long time, and then they figure out that she's invisible, and then it takes a long time for there to figure out that maybe they could throw a curtain on her and beat her up. Um, (laughs) but that said, I really, I really love the fact that, um, the, that the, this idea, and there's a stupid line where Giles is like, of course, this is about physics and all of that stuff. No, it's not. It's crazy. No, but but, (laughs) none of this is about physics, but it is the core thing about metaphors coming true in high school on Buffy that I love. This is a girl who nobody pays attention to. Until she disappears. And I just love that almost Mm -hmm. fable aspect of it. It's like, this is what happens when uh, somebody is ignored, is that they become... They become invisible and then they then they act out. Um, it's about people being cruel. This is a monster that you all created by being awful people to this person. I think it's interesting um, uh, th- that um, also we get the guys in the suits and in something that is never really followed up on. Yeah. Again, there's almost this X-Files aspect of the government, although it leads to a great little last scene where the government knows that people turn invisible and they take them and train them to be assassins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the other thing that happens in this episode is Cordelia really is kind of brought into the yeah. into the circle, yeah. right? She is she is she is being attacked by Marcy because Marcy hates Cordelia because Cordelia is the worst, right? And um, 
and she's gonna and she she ties Cordelia up, and then she, she's gonna attack Cordelia, and she's gonna cut off, and, and she she can hear her talking, but she knows she's invisible, and she's gonna disfigure her face and make her look ugly, and 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 learn to live with not being pretty like she is, and so Cordelia like gets what Buffy and her gang are actually all about in this. And she, she, you know, she thanks them at the end, but also she, she like is no longer oblivious to what's going on, which right. is cool. It, yeah. it, it takes another trope of, you know, the mean girl is just always going to be the mean girl and she's never going to mature and she's never going to grow up. And in this, she becomes the damsel in distress and she becomes saved. And even though she doesn't, you know, a hundred percent reform at this point, She's on the path. And and she, I mean, through the rest of the series at Angel, she does evolve, which is lovely to watch. So this is, it, again, it's, you know, taking a trope that we all think we know and how can we twist it? How can we make it new? And she doesn't evolve right away. She gets clued in and she starts to know what's going on, but she's still kind of a mean girl. And I think that's interesting because yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of shows would say, oh, Cordelia knows what's going on. Now she's part of the team or an ally. Not really, not yet. Give her time. This is also, I think this is the episode where she comes to Buffy and Buffy's like, why are you here? And she says, do you think I not know? This is the kind of thing you do, right? Where it's like, oh, she's been paying attention a little bit or trying not to, but this is, she can't, she can't deny it anymore that this is actually Buffy's the person you go to with stuff like this. Yeah, that this kind of presages a great moment later in the series during the graduation it's uh it's it's i just i like all oh, the feelings the high school feelings that, that's such a part of this this show for me all of this stuff like just the moment like cordelia says um she's she explains why she's popular and she's like you know you think i don't feel lonely in the, in that crowd where everybody is just uh, agreeing with whatever I say and nobody is listening to what I have to say. They just want to agree because I'm popular. Um, mm-hmm. And Buffy mm-hmm. says, well, then why do you do it? And she says, well, it beats being it beats being alone by yourself. It's like, wow. Yeah. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got everybody's got something. Even Cordelia. Everybody's got something. It also has to spend some time laying the groundwork for the finale. It does. It's yeah, moving, kind of moving furniture around, as they say. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of that. It's true. All right, the finale, Prophecy Girl, season finale, twelfth episode. Buffy, the master, prophecies, <laughs> girl, earthquakes. If I'm not mistaken, it's Joss Whedon's directorial debut. Yes, this is the written and directed by Joss Whedon episode, the first one. Uh, Monty, you said you have many things to say about Prophecy Girl, so let's go to it. Okay, um, this episode has the scene that hooked me on the show. And still my favorite scene in the series. It's the one where Buffy explains that she is 16 and doesn't want to die. Yeah. Yep. Mm, Like, she has so many notes to hit in that. She's choking back tears when she says, do they say how he's going to kill me? Do you think it'll hurt? Like, that entire scene, because Buffy has spent the entire season so far basically... Being a remorseless, quippy badass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some sadness, but mostly being an unstoppable machine. And here you, you're you reminded, she's in high school and she's fighting vampires. I think it's just an amazing scene. And then my second favorite scene in the episode is her walking back in saying, Oh, I'm the Slayer. Because she's taken on her mantle and now she's yeah. going to just destroy things. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. episode. Yeah, she tries to quit, right? She's like, no, I quit. If I'm, if I'm going to die, then I quit. Get Find a new Slayer. I quit. I'm out. Yep. And she has to go through that whole period where she, like, tries to reject her 
calling. I guess this is some good hero's journey stuff <laughs> happening here, right? <laughs> well, I mean, those those two speeches are the mission statement of the show, the series. Yeah, yeah. Because it's both. It is she is 16 and she's the Slayer. Can I just say how great Sarah Michelle Gellar is? Um, we didn't talk oh, when we talked fantastic. about the, the characters. You know, I just sort of said, and, and there's Buffy, right? She's at the center. <laughs> of this. She's got to hold this whole thing together. She's got to she's got to show vulnerability and strength. Um, she's got to show that she's a kid, but also has a wisdom. It is this is a hard thing to do, and in lesser hands, this show would not have made it. Right. I mean, this right. is yep. we talk about casting sometimes and I know we've talked about it in previous episodes that sometimes you get lucky with casting or you do good casting and it can make the difference between a show working and not working. And she kills it. She she was a soap opera actress from when she was very young. But in this, she she carries she just she she's not alone. She's got other people to help her out. But she she carries the burden of being the lead in this action show about feelings in high school. And she just she just nails it. And you're right, Monty. None better than that scene where she says, I don't I don't want to die. You know, this has been this has been kind of fun and all. But, you know, she's basically gotten the news that tomorrow the prophecy says you will die. And she she has to go through that whole, you know, rejection of that. I don't want to do that. And she goes home and her mom gives her a beautiful dress for the dance. Oh, it is yeah. a beautiful dress, by the way. She, everyone keeps telling me that, she says. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that that whole casting thing, if, if you look at the unaired pilot and don't go look at the unaired pilot but it'll show you oh. how you know even when even you know like most of the cast is there but they don't gel the same way because it's not you know, it's just there's one thing that's not quite working and this combination of actors was just right you know how that alchemy works if if they had miscast any of the other characters in the in the original pilot who knows if they had gone forward right but I think they knew what they had in, in Giles and Buffy. And, you know, it was like, we need to fix this and make it better. And they did. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate, appreciate speaking of uh, American stereotypes of the British, like Giles is upset, so he goes to make tea. <laughs> I, I, that just cracks me up. And then cleans his glasses. Right. <laughs> of course. While it's steeping. We did miss, uh, in that unaired pilot, we did miss Stephen Tobolowsky as the principal. We did, didn't yeah, get him back. that is true. That would have been okay. He would have just been eaten by hyenas or something. <laughs> Almost certainly. Great, great line in this. I like um, when the, uh, the so, so also the prophecy thing here is so funny because it, it, it plays with the whole idea of prophecy, right? The master says, oh, bah, uh, but by coming here, you have fulfilled the prophecy because she's going there because that's the prophecy. But her being there is what frees the master because he gets to suck her blood and that gives him the power to, to escape. Um, that's kind of funny. And then she dies. But of course, there's more to the story because she's revived by Xander. But there is that great moment when the, when the master is, is freed and there's the earthquake. And after this dramatic earthquake, uh, the master says, what do you think? 5.1? It's a yeah. Southern That's California a joke, moment. but I love it. I love it. Yeah. Everybody always tries to, guess, accurate. tries to guess what the Richter scale of the earthquake was, right? <laughs> he caused the earthquake, but he's like, what do you think? 5.1? He's pretty casual for a guy in a cave filled with candles during an earthquake. Yeah. He's the master. He's that, that's yeah. it's just his he's, style, man. He's been through worse. Yeah, he he had to put up with Angelus's Irish accent at some point in the time. <laughs> yeah. That didn't put up with anything. Oh, there's a faucet of blood that happens at one point. Just like just we could do that. There's a faucet with yeah. there's a faucet with blood. 
Um, and the the um, tentacled creature from the the opening of the Hellmouth in the library. Yeah, the library has like tentacles coming out, and there are a bunch of vampires coming in, uh, and there's like a last stand in the library, and again Cordelia is there with them. Uh, there's the horrifying scene where Cordelia and Willow go into the into the room, the which is I guess the AV club. It's like the TVs, and the boys are all in there, including Cor- the boy Cordelia is going to the dance with, who we've seen in the last couple of episodes, and the, and and they're all uh, there's a reverse shot, and we realize they're all dead, and they go in and find that there's like eight high school boys who've been murdered on campus which is horrifying but it is played as horrifying right it's it they give it all of the detail i mean it's sunnydale so you know that probably happens every day but still they give it the horror that it deserves which i think is uh i think is good and uh cordelia is uh appropriately upset by that uh, I think Cordelia is great in this episode because she gets the cool get in oh, yeah. and then drives yeah. through the entire school set. <laughs> they must have decided if we get a second season, we're going to have more money or something. Yeah. Just just destroy the whole thing. We're going to make some changes. So so uh, and Buffy says something like this isn't usually how we get to the library. <laughs> um, <laughs> she just drives down the hallway, but then parks right out in front of the doors to the library, oh, yeah. which is very nice so that the vampires can come in and swarm them. Um and then Buffy's final showdown with the with the master. Um, he's he's on the roof, and it's it's perfunctory, right? I mean, it's not one of their better fights. Uh, it, it, a few years later, they yeah. would have had a whole big yeah. choreographed <laughs> fight, but instead, it's pretty perfunctory. He grabs her. She tells him he has fruit punch mouth. She punches him. Picks you know does a couple of flips. So they did have a stunt person because they've got Buffy Buffy's stunt person to do occasional flips, and then you know he gets thrown through the the glass dome atop the library and impaled <laughs> to on a, one of the many, many spars of wood that stick out in Sunnydale. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the library is broken, right? Uh-huh. So I always thought the vampire should have gone through town and just sawed all yep. the pokey bits of wood <laughs> off the trees. Some sandpaper. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I did like how uh, her whole attitude changes once she comes back to life. Right. Yeah. She's yeah. much more like, Oh, I've been dead and I faced death and I've come back and yeah, yeah. Right, I am the slayer and I am yeah. kick ass. And so at the very end, she, you know, when, when they're, they're having their confrontation, you know, he's got her by the throat. He's, he's doing the hypnotic thing. And she just kind of, you know, she does it for a second. And it's like, yeah, screw you. Yep. You know, it's, it's <laughs> very, it's like, again, it's like, that's that growth from episode one to episode 12, not knowing that they would ever get to make any more. And so that is a satisfying arc. Although the whole thing where she's like, oh, hey, I'm here. Let's discuss this before I kill you. I was just like, meh. I get you that you're confident now, but like, why not just take him? No monologuing. No monologuing. Just kill him already. (laughs) It's a show about dialogue. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Quippy dialogue. Anyway, she does. Finally, they do a little fight and she throws him down and he is impaled. As the Wikipedia page says, impaled, unbroken furniture, conveniently upturned, pointy, (laughs) wooden, broken furniture. (laughs) Well, it's nice because they have that shot that's like it very establishes that that this is what he's going to die on. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah, it's very convenient. Yeah, it's it's Chekhov's upturned, pointy, broken furniture. Yeah. And so they, uh, oh, there's a good uh, Next Generation episode in here, too, or a reference in here, too, because they actually, mm. Xander actually refers to Giles as Locutus of the Borg, um, yeah. which made me laugh. Um, <laughs> and in the end, yeah, the big, the big bad is defeated, and, every, and everybody is, uh, is happy, and they save the world, and that's the end. 
which we say they go off to spring say we party what yeah yeah it's not killing him is not the end the end is when everybody's happy and laughing and gets to go off and be high school students for the night yeah, right exactly buffy's got the dress she might as well uh wear it so they go to the bronze which part of its business model holding high school dances mm-hmm. did but you not know the AV. no can't use the stereo system yeah no. nope i liked their faint where they pretended they were yeah. going to have a big masses of vampires attack the prom and at first i'm thinking oh like in the movie and then apparently hmm. someone said that's expensive and also what if we focused on our main characters yeah. so they just yeah. kind of turned around and brought it back into the core which is the right call so season one of buffy uh overall you know having revisited it a little bit and knowing that you know some people say oh that first season's not that good it really gets good with season two well season two is fantastic but i think that uh, you know i i think that you underestimate season one at your peril or something like that what do you all think aline i agree i i don't think buffy starts to shine until the college years um you know from what i've seen but i think that that season Mm. one is is underrated for sure. David? Yeah, I mean, there are shows that uh, justifiably, you know, the first season of The Office, eh, first season of Parks and Recreation, which I love as a series. Yeah. Oh, it's don't, awful. Don't Terrible. watch oh, season so one. Bad. Yeah. They just don't, it's yeah. not there. This is not one of those shows. This is a good, good first season. Is it, you know, I, and I think, I think people underestimate it. Because they're judging it against the later years and they're judging it against when when everything was firing on all cylinders in the second and third and fourth seasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all right. Yes, it's a little simpler. The pacing is a little slower. They're doing a little bit more exposition because this is totally new, right? This is not a show or concept that has existed for a while. Monty, what's your first season Buffy final uh, final analysis slash judgment? I like the first season. Back in 2003, there was a website called TV.org that you might remember. And for the end of Buffy, we all listed, we listed our uh, top 10 episodes and my top 10 were different from everyone else's. But I had Prophecy Girl as my second favorite episode because of that great scene that I love so much about how she doesn't want to die. And I think I stand by that. Like that, well, that is, I, I, I would certainly put that up in the top scenes of the entire series. I mean, that is just heartbreaking. And yeah, there's some silly stuff in the season. Yeah. Well, so what? You can't like some silly stuff? Come yeah, on. It's exactly. a great season. I agree. I like Prophecy Girl a lot. That is a great... I, I, I just... I feel like I watched that and I said, why? As much as I loved that famous, you know, best of both worlds, next generation cliffhanger, and then everybody started doing cliffhangers, um, <laughs> I loved how Prophecy Girl ends. I loved that this show... Yeah told a story, got to the end, the big bad guy from the whole season was dispatched, the characters got to enjoy the fact that they would had won the day, and we had a little, you know, the and and the end. And maybe it'll come back for more and 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 it did. But uh but it was like a a really nice ending and uh and a and a really meaty episode and and I remember thinking this is how I would like my season finales to feel. And and that influence has been felt. No, I like I like season one. I think I think you know, I'm not gonna argue that it's the best season of Buffy, but I I, I don't feel like it's like next generation where the first oh, year is, 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 is 
disposable. <laughs> I think that this is a yeah. it's a it's an adorable it's an adorable show with a low budget and some good funny writing and a good cast and they're figuring out how to make the show and it's gonna be great soon. But it's not the same where it's like wow this is kind of garbage. I'm I wait until it gets good. That's not how the first season of Buffy works. It's wow. it's more like you're just watching. It's like a little uh, like a newborn uh, uh, like horse or something. It's like the legs are a little spindly and it's kind of messy, but it's uh, but it's going to win the Derby. You can already tell that it's going to be a pretty great thing. Yeah. If this were on the air right now, you'd be delighted to watch it. <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, we've done it. We'll come back at some point and talk about the second season. It's very sad. There's a sword and somebody gets run through with it at the end. And it's very sad. Uh, but and we meet some interesting people in season two. But we will get there at a later time. So I'd like to thank my guests for taking this trip down memory lane back to 1997 with me. David Lore, thank you. Uh, pleasure as always. And, I'm, you know. We talked about saving the world. I say we party. And our own, our very own Jesse, Monty. No, I take it back. I'm sorry. Wow. I'll just see myself out. You already said he was our willow. What? What is that? Whatever. I don't know. Monty Ashley, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Jason. And Aline Sims, thank you very much. If the apocalypse comes, beat me. All right. We'll uh, (laughs) ninety-seven. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time. Goodbye.